Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, I'm Jared Goodstat, creator of the hit musical podcast, Baron Banjo, and founder of Audio Up Media. Did you know that we have a brand new fiction podcast out with none other than Stephen King? It's called Strawberry Spring, and it stars Garrett Hedlund, Sidney Sweeney, and Milo Ventimiglia. And it's available right now wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a fan of Stephen King's legendary catalog, then this eight-episode series is right up your alley. And with Halloween just around the corner, Strawberry Spring is a perfect mix of suspense, fright, and mystery. Check it out today from Audio Up Media and find it wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, when we started this project, we were not sure how hard it would be to edit, record everything, and then eventually distribute. But then luckily, someone told us about Anchor. Let me explain. First of all, it's free. Secondly, they have creation tools that will allow you to record and edit directly from your phone or your computer. They distribute your podcast for you. And the best thing is you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, it's Jalil. Now I want to tell you about my new favorite plant-based protein bar. It's Loopy. L-U-P-I-I, two eyes. Made from the lupini bean, which has three times the protein of eggs, two times the protein of chickpeas, and three times more fiber than oats. Loopy bars are protein-rich, vegan, sustainable, plant-based fuel that will keep you running like a boss all day. Now, for me, I use these as a post-workout pick-me-up because I just I need that at my age, you know what I'm saying? A little something to get me going. Makes the perfect snack. These nutty, fruity bars will fill you up and keep you going all day. Vegan, non-GMO, gluten-free, no sugar added. That part is important because I'm addicted to sugar. Kosher, and would you believe me if I told you that they really do taste great? I'm serious. Loopy bars come in four delicious flavors. Peanut butter cacao, uh, almond butter cinnamon raisin, that's my favorite, tahini lemon cranberry, and new cashew ginger pumpkin seed. I'm gonna have to jump on that because I feel these holidays coming around. I prefer the almond butter myself, though. The almond butter cinnamon is my joint. Right now, Loopy is offering 20% off your first online order at Get Loopy. That's two eyes. GetLoopy.com. Use the code EVER at checkout to get free shipping on all orders. That's Loopy. L-U-P-I-I. Two eyes. Visit GetLoopy.com slash EVER. Don't forget those slashes because you want your discount. If I said, I want, I want to meet the Violent Femmes or I want Blondie on the show. Blondie was on the show. Violent Femmes were on the show. I had a crush on one of the monkeys. Davy Jones came on the show. You know, it was like, that's the, that's the power of being the executive producer is like getting to work with the people you love, getting a little creative influence, having people take your voice seriously. And I got that on Sabrina. I got that at 20 years old. And that show afforded me to buy my first house at 21. Stars getting older and the life of it 
Stereotypes about child stars and their longevity in Hollywood are well known. We've all heard the same stories, but contrary to popular belief, there's a greater number of child actors who beat the odds, and we continue to work in our careers in show business just fine. I'm Jaleel White, and this is Ever After. All right, I'm really excited about, uh, about my guest today. Uh, she did 25 national commercials before the age of five. She started on Broadway by the age of four. Um, I mean, I'll get right to her main credits because her IMDb just goes on and on and on. <laughs> Clarissa Explains It All was her big launch to fame on Nickelodeon. Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Can't wait to talk about that. Drive Me Crazy, the movie. Um, Melissa Explains It All. Let's see. Um, no, it's... Oh, no, 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 no. That's her, what, what, what was your next credit? Your next credit was uh, Melissa and Joey. Melissa and Joey from... Uh, 2010 <laughs> to 2015. Now she's giggly, so you know who I'm talking about. And my daughter has loved her in No Good Nick for Netflix. She's also a terrific director, and I've worked for her in a terrific Lifetime movie called SantaCon. Melissa Joan Hart, everybody. <laughs> Melissa Joan Hart. Hi. How you doing? How are you? What's up, Jalil? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm Zooming like everybody else, baby. We on this Zoom. Right. Our kids right? are learning on Zoom. Uh, we're, uh, we're working on Zoom. Uh, what would I yeah, lives Zoom's, be without Zoom's Zoom? raking it in during Corona. I know right? they're they're like the lucky ones, right? How did Skype lose the battle? Like, how did I don't understand how our kids are using like Google Classroom, but not actually using it for online. Like, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, but, but Zoom is killing it, man. That's going to be between toilet paper and Zoom. That's what we'll remember. Twenty twenty. Oh, my gosh. Don't get me started with toilet paper. Come on. Be honest. How much did you grab? You know, it's funny as the lockdown was supposed to happen, I grabbed an extra, uh, like probably 20 pack or something because I had some guests coming, supposed to come into town. And so I stocked up and then, it, and then it was gone for months. And I was like, thank God I did that. So one of the things that we have in common is, um, you, you and I both worked with the infamous now, Mr. Bill Cosby. Um, yes, yes. I, I did a jello pudding commercial and you did a jello pudding commercial. What was your experience? I did. Was, you think it, was it the same one? No, I don't think it was the same I one. I mean, that would be absolutely scary. Which one was yours? Well, all I remember, it was like four director's chairs in a kind of a little circle. And um, he was in one and there was like me and I want to say two or three other kids but he kept firing the kids like crazy. Like if someone was like, I'm getting a bellyache, get him out. You know, there were about 25 children waiting to be in there. But um, to be like, you know, in the backup. And I, I didn't know what they were there for. My sister was one of them. And I remember she was sitting in the chair next to him getting her makeup done. And he was getting his makeup. And she's like, Hi. and that was our favorite. Cosby show was our favorite show. And she was like, hi, Mr. Cosby. And he wouldn't even like he grunted and like didn't like say hi to her. <laughs> My mom was horrified. That <sighs> this is like the man we look up to the, you know, the father of America. And and he you know, didn't say hi to my sister, who was only like six at the time, by the way. Oh, that's but, so uh, yeah, I remember sitting in the chair and watching him fire child after child after child. Like one was like, I don't like vanilla pudding. Get him out of here. You know, was, so I was like, oh, I'm just going to sit here, keep my mouth shut, eat my pudding and just smile like I've never tasted anything so good. And I, ca- I was the only one that kept my job. Everyone else got fired. <laughs> so you knew how to be political even back then. I love it. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> I know he told. I know he told my mom to hurry up when she wanted to take a picture. Oh, so he was like, he told my mom, uh, "You don't keep stars waiting. Hurry up." <laughs> uh, yeah, he was. He was. Meanwhile, that's probably like that's back in the day when you had to roll the film. Oh like, yeah, right, like oh, pranking yeah. it, like. 
You had to use like an actual camera and she had been told to wait all day for this one moment. Oh. And, uh, you know, oh. just nervous. He's, he was freaking Bill Cosby. Uh, I mean, he's the biggest guy. Yeah, he was like the biggest star and, and everybody's homes. Everyone felt like they knew him. And yeah, it's such a what a turn, huh? We know what a turn. you and I know that meeting your heroes can sometimes just not go the way you thought in your brain. Uh, and that's just, yeah. and it's kind of common for us. So we almost kind of shrug it off at this point. I mean, even hearing you talk about it, you're like, yeah, nah, you didn't say hi to my sister. You know, it is what it is. Yeah. We, you know, we've had a good career <laughs> since, but the average person is like seriously traumatized when they come across somebody that they've admired so much and they have to discover, I'm sorry to tell you, but he's a dick. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. Yeah, no, it's funny. You know, I'm, uh, there are some times though, when like I got to meet, uh, uh, at a Comic-Con recently, I, no, years ago, I met John Travolta and then I saw him again at a Comic-Con last year. But, um, I, I really embarrassed myself in front of him. He was nice as could be with like the dreamiest eyes and it was everything I w- could have wished for. But I just kind of said something stupid to him and ran away and, What'd you say? uh, just embarrassed myself. Well, he, okay. So I, like there was a, the 20th anniversary, I think it was, or maybe 30. No, it must've been the 20th anniversary of Greece. Okay. And I had just gone, they were having a big party at Paramount and I had gone to the party and me and my friends dressed up and we were there and we were hoping to see him, but we found out he wasn't going to be there. Okay. And so it was like two weeks later that I suddenly run into him and Henry Winkler brings me over to meet him and is like, Henry, this is my friend or John, this is my friend, Melissa. And he's like, hi, Melissa. Nice to meet you. Just dreamiest eyes. I melted. And I went, I was at the Greece thing a few weeks ago and I was hoping to see you and I saw you there and I didn't get to say hi. And he's like, no, I wasn't there. And I said, I know you weren't there. I know you weren't there. I mean, I wanted you to be there. You weren't there. Hi, Kelly. Nice to meet you. And I turned around and I ran and I was just like, what the, what is wrong with me that I like, I I mean, this is my dream guy, all of my childhood. So it was just, you know, one of those moments, a little different than the Bill Cosby incident. (laughs) So John Travolta discombobulated you more than any star you've ever met. Um, him and strangely Oliver Hudson. <laughs> Ooh, that's random. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what it was. I used to go out to clubs and see Ollie out, and I just had such a thing for him. And I just go find him on the dance floor, thinking I had something witty to say, and I just kind of like mur- murmur something, like didn't even that yeah and turn and run. It was like the weirdest thing. Yeah, Oliver Hudson and John Travolta. I, I love how <laughs> random the names are, though. Because it's just none of these stories ever have the names that you think they're going to have. And we're normal like anybody else. You know, I remember I had um, I went to a a Starlight Foundation dinner in the early 90s and they sat me next to Janet Jackson, who was just like at that time, uh, especially was like like they sat me right next to Janet Jackson and her and her husband. And um, I remember even when our plate of food came and uh, I'm just ready to dig in my chicken. And I'm like, oh, you're you're not hungry? And she's like, oh no, I don't eat animals. And it was just like, it just, <gasps> it just it, I was done. I was done eating. I didn't, I, I couldn't touch. Uh... I could like my appetite just went right out my ass. <laughs> out my ass. <laughs> I wasn't about to sit here and eat an animal in front of Janet Jackson. In front of her, right? I know, right? Yeah, that nothing, nothing more awkward, right? Yeah. This woman had like the most perfect belly button on an album cover I'd ever seen. I was not. Oh my gosh, I had that poster. <laughs> that poster hung on the ceiling in my bedroom. We all yeah. had it, right? Yeah. Um, all right. I, I, I got to keep digging into the early part of our, our careers and how we we, we cross yeah. paths. You auditioned for Blossom. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember it? Talk to me about it. I just remember at night 
I was all, I was auditioning simultaneously for Blossom and for my first show, Clarissa Explains It All. And um, at the time, Nickelodeon had Double Dare and uh, a few other kids shows. It had um, I, I, uh, uh, You Can't Do That in Television, which was the only one that I thought was like a cool, not kids show. Right. Uh, but I loved watching Nickelodeon. But at the same time, I was like, well, I don't want to be on a kids network. But also I was auditioning for Blossom. And I, I don't know. I don't recall if I actually auditioned for the role of Blossom, but I auditioned for six numerous times. And Clarissa kind of sometimes on the same day, I think I went on like a second and a third callback. And, wow. um, yeah. And I remember like at night praying over them being like, God, what should I do? Like, which one would be better for me? Like to be the star of my own show or to be, um, like a character on another show where the other girl's the star, but it's on a network and, you know, I, and I have to move to LA or, you know, and I just remember like being kind of torn over like what the decision, as if I got to make the decision, but also just praying like that the best path would open up for me. And, um, and then sure enough, I got Clarissa, which I think was a, a great, a great thing, but Jenna and I are good friends and, um, I adore her and, and I, I don't think I would have been as nearly as funny or, or fast paced as her. <laughs> I think, I think all of us, you know, you know, once somebody embodies a role, you just can't imagine anybody else in that role. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like, true. Yeah. It's like all of our blessings are, you know, what's meant, what's meant for you is meant for you. And, and so exactly. it, it's, it's only fun really to tell these stories um, to, to people who are either newbies to the business or just curious about, about the business so that they fully understand, you know, the, the, the journey of being considered that we've lived. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's the thing about the thing that people always think about actors is like, we're so egotistical or we're so, there's so much bravado or so confident. And a lot of the time it's actually the opposite because we go through so much rejection. Dude. You have to put on kind of a, an armor <laughs> yes. to protect yourself when you go through so much rejection as a kid. maybe it rolls off your back a little easier. Depends on the kind of kid you are. For me, it was like, I don't care. I'm going to Girl Scouts later. I'm going to dance class or, you know, if I didn't get a part, I didn't necessarily always care. It was right around that time when you turn, when you become a teenager and you kind of learn about humility and <laughs> you realize what you're doing, that you get a little bit more like, maybe I should, maybe I, maybe I do want this part, or maybe I don't want to embarrass myself and say that lifesavers are the yummiest thing on earth or, um, you know, and, uh, and I feel like people always think that actors just are full of themselves, but really I think there's a lot of like brokenness that comes. And that's why some of us come out of it. Okay. And some of us have a hard time, I think with, um, you know, with that rejection and with that. And, and you think that just because you're going to get, because you get a TV show on the air that you're going to be okay, that you're set for life, that you're, you know, you've got everything you want. You play this epic character or whatever. And really it's like, there's a huge downswing after that of trying to recreate yourself and trying to come back from that. And I mean, I guess we can get into that later, but you know, trying to, it's like, do you want to be a working actor and just keep going and pushing through and getting the jobs you can get? And, or do you want to, does it always have to be taking it to the next level? Cause a lot of the time that doesn't always happen. Well, what's, what's interesting about you. And I have to bring up your mom because your mom is just a boss. You know, obviously I, I, I worked for you on SantaCon mm. and, and, but your mom had an awareness that, that a lot of parents don't have about guiding your career. And it's like, I have to say something that she did. Your mom bought the rights to Sabrina the Teenage Witch from Archie Comics and she bought it for a dollar. So again, you could tell me about that negotiation. She bought it for a yeah, dollar back then yeah. when that is when that was the savviest thing in the world to do. And then also, how did she know though to turn it into a movie first so that, that, would, that the success of the movie would attract 
ABC. Like, explain that because for well, a mother to have known all that, yeah. that makes your mom a boss forever in my mind. Well, she paid attention to the business. She was not in the business when we when I started. I wanted to be on Romper Room. I wanted my name set in the magic mirror. I don't know if you remember that show where <laughs> Miss Marianne held the yes, magic I mirror. Do. And at the yes. end of the show, she'd say people's names. But Melissa wasn't a popular name. She would never say my name. And I put together the formula of she's saying the names of the kids that are on the floor in front of her. I got to get on that show. So she'll say Melissa. So I you? told my mom, I turned to my mom. Melissa, how I was like four. Turned to my mom. I'm like, I want to be in TV. She called a friend who knew who had a daughter who was auditioning for stuff. And she said, how do I get Melissa into it? I went on my first audition, booked it. Third audition, booked it. Fifth audition, booked it. And all of a sudden I was, you know, acting. So my mom was managing my career. Um, she became a casting director um, because so many people kept coming to her saying, how do I get my kid involved? How do I get my kid involved? She became a manager. She became a casting director. And then with Sabrina, after Clarissa was over, because she was my manager, she's fielding all these calls. We want Melissa to play a lesbian on this show with the blah, 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 <laughs> or this, you know, this, we want her to play a, a, um, a, a, a kind of a streetwalker and do that. And my mom's like, she's 16. No, we're not like, I'm not going to let her do that right now. Like, you know, she just didn't like the opportunities that came and knowing that Clarissa had this kind of childhood, you know, a lot of, a lot of kids were watching the show. She's like, I'm not going to let her just go do Lolita now because, you know, it, we got a segue to something else. So she found the comic book from Archie and she went to them and yeah, basically they said, yeah, you can take it. Give us a dollar. We'll do the exchange. So the dollar was like, that's the minimum you had to give to just say there was a money exchange yeah. and there was a rights given. And we had the rights, I think, for six months. She brought it right to Viacom. Uh, they sold it to Showtime as a movie. And that was the first thing we were going to do was make the TV movie. And then she kept saying, as we were in production, this would be a great series. This would be a great series. And they kept saying, whatever, whatever, whatever. But when she went in the editing room, she loves post. I hate post. She went in the editing room <laughs> and she was... Cutting together, she cut together a trailer for a TV series. Your mom cut together. So the she trailer. flew. Oh. She cut together the trailer. She's like, pull that, pull that, put this together, put this, put music over it. And she came home to our apartment in New York City and was like, I'm gonna go to LA and pitch this to some networks. And she flew to, and I was like, good luck, like kind of like never gonna happen. And she jumped on a plane and went to five different networks. And she got uh, three offers in the room. She got an uh, offer from, I think, uh, I don't know if it was WB at the time, um, but she got an offer from ABC. She got a full like 24 or 26 episode offer from one of the networks. She got an offer from, I want to say NBC. And then she got an offer from ABC, but it would be on TGIF. It would only be 12 episodes, but it'd be on TGIF. And she went with the time slot. And so, and then ever since then, she's been producing all of our TV movies, all of our um, now we do the Lifetime Christmas movies and uh, she produced Melissa and Joey. And we have another one we're working on. We're developing right now. You had an interesting dynamic because you you have a sibling and and Liz was an actress, too. I have a lot. of. I'm the oldest of eight. And Lizzie, okay, that, yeah, okay, Lizzie, so I didn't want to, I didn't want to. That's I don't know how much you want me to put out there. I was only going to talk about Liz. Yeah. But you, you are part yeah. of a litter. Really? You're part of a litter. Yeah. Yeah. And I am. The when oldest, you were the doing first. Clarissa. Right. When you were doing Clarissa, though, your parents created this kind of like this. I don't know how to say it. Like you had a guardianship down in Orlando and they would like yeah. trade places watching you guys. Like explain how that worked, because I'm an only child. Yeah. So my mom really oh. I, my mom was a hawk. Like she was just all over me. I couldn't get my yeah. mom over. I'd get my mom away from me. <laughs> she was a cheap suit for me growing up, literally. And like you guys, to a certain degree, <laughs> had to balance, had to balance, you know, like 
okay, well, I'm losing a bit of my mom because mom is with Lizzie right now uh, on the cruise doing this show. Like I, you talk yeah. about, but I, I found that dynamic yeah. to be very interesting when people have siblings well, and they're pursuing a career in show business. That's funny you say that. Cause I never, I guess I never really thought about that really. I, I mean, people ask why I don't want my kids in the business. It's mainly cause I don't want to drive them around to auditions and have to help them memorize stuff and force them to wear clothes and go to the audition. But, um, uh, she, you know, we were driving probably two, three times a weekend in New York City, which is about two hours from our home. So two hours there, two hours back. Uh, got really involved in theater when I was about uh, 10, I think. I was the youngest member of the Circle Repertory Company, and but I couldn't sing. So I was doing plays, but not musical theater. My one sister, okay. Lizzie, could sing. So Lizzie got involved. And then young, my younger sister, Emily, too, who's 10 years younger than me, the two of them did a lot of musical theater. Um, Lizzie you know, often auditioned or was friends with the people in Les Mis or um, we would constantly go see plays because we lived in New York City. And um, and so she was constantly like in that that childhood, those the musical theater kids world, like the Lacey Chabert's and um, yeah, uh, Laura, Laura Bell Bundy and some of these kids that were big musical theater kids. And uh, she was doing she did the sound of music at Lincoln Center at the same time as I was doing a play downtown. And then that's big. My then she yeah so she booked a she booked a show on a cruise ship so she had to go on a cruise ship for thirteen weeks and perform I think Sound of Music and some other musical numbers so my mom of course chose the better of the two between uh, you know being at Universal Studios Orlando or being on a cruise ship my mom went for thirteen weeks with my sister on a cruise ship took the baby with her Emily who later on became a musical theater girl too and uh, Trisha and my brother stayed at home with my dad and Trisha pretty much ran the house at the age of oh. 12. She was paying the bills. She learned how to sign checks. <laughs> she Yo. learned how to get my brother up and ready for school. Yo. Yeah. So she was fully taking care of my like six-year-old brother while she's like 12. And then, um, and I was in Orlando and a lot of the time with mainly with guardians. So, um, but that was over four years. I had four different guardians. And so, yeah, I was in Orlando and I was kind of sheltered from, I feel like you know, I, I was I was friends with a lot of the like New York City audition crew, right? Like the Soleil, like Soleil Moon Fry, I would run into sometimes. Not necessarily that she was always in New York, but um, it was like Sarah Michelle Geller and Tara Reed was out there, and uh, Lacey Chabert and the whole Chabert family, and um, you know, you meet a lot of people that became child stars because you're in the same audition circles as Joey Lawrence. Like I would constantly audition with Joey, um, and so. Uh, yeah, so I was I was kind of sheltered from like the Hollywood lifestyle because I feel like I was in New York. It was a lot more theater, a lot more commercials, um, maybe some soap opera work, that kind of thing. But um, then I went to Orlando for four years and did my show in Orlando. So I wasn't walking red carpets or going to big events or parties, having stylists or anything like that. So I was really kind of sheltered from that sort of life until I did Sabrina when I was 20. And that's the first time I really lived in L.A. That's when I, you know, got a fancy car and you know, I started going to red carpet events and premieres and like the first time I ever did any of that. And I think one I don't of know the, if I answered the, your question. Was that even about your question? <laughs> I don't know if it did. About, it did about my parents. My question. My, I was, I was really talking, I was really talking more about, um, I was really talking more the about the dynamic uh, of my family. You, the dynamic of, of are your siblings, are you guys aware of how much of the sacrifices of you made for each balance. other. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you guys made, yeah. you guys had to make conscious sacrifices for each other. Like, you yeah. know, you know, Lizzie needs mom right now. I need mom right yeah. now. And it's yeah. like, you know, 
how is your how has that affected your dynamic with your siblings? Well, you know, until I was like 12, I I feel like I very much led a normal life, even though I was working constantly. It was like commercials. It was like, a, yeah, it was like a day here, two days there. Maybe one time I went off to Vancouver and did a movie for a few weeks. And my mom and my brother came with me. My, my brother was a baby. Actually went to Mississippi and shot a movie with Drew Barrymore. And my mom and my brother came with me there. So we would kind of split up. But a lot of the time I got my mom until 12, until Clarissa, which which Clarissa really started when I was like 13, 14. So I guess it was right around the time, right around the time you don't want your mom dropping you off and going, you know, so, you know, there were things I had to learn to do on my own. Like, uh, you know, I had to learn to set an alarm and wake up and figure out, do I need to wash my hair today? Do I need to shave my legs today? (laughs) You know, what do I need to do to be ready for work? What time do I need to go to bed? And, um, you know, what kind of food should I be eating as opposed to having mom do it all for me up until then she probably picked up my clothes, but, um, yeah, you know, my sister Trisha really lacked in having our parents around. She really had to pick up a lot of the slack. She would audition with me all the time. We were very similar, same height, same kind of, you know, we were both blonde, blue-eyed kids that would go on a lot of the auditions, but she was a little shy and I was really out there. I was really extrovert and like, you know, we were willing to ham it up. And so I would get the jobs a lot. And I think it really hurt her for a long time until she finally discovered, like, it became that I was like the funny one. She was the smart one. Um, and then Lizzie was the singer, like everyone kind of fell into their own little category that made them feel like they had something to give. And, uh, but Trisha still, I I think holds a little stuff about, you know, the fact that my mom wasn't really around for her much, or she had to pick up, you know, help with the family so much. And I, you know, I had a lot of that with like monetarily had to help out with the family a lot. And, um, I, not that I minded that because what would I do with my money anyway, at the age of like 10, you know, if I did a commercial, my, I got a Barbie doll or one time my dad challenged me. He said, if you get two national commercials, I'll build. I said, dad, I want a clubhouse. When can I, when will you build me a club? He was in, he was a construction worker. When will you build me a clubhouse? He was like, when you get two national commercials. Oh, that's so hilarious. I love that. I love that about, uh, we have that in common that you said that you didn't know how much money you made from your commercials or anything. And my parents Mm -hmm. did the exact same thing. Actually, I didn't want to go on auditions anymore because I love sports more. And so I was starting to have to leave practice and stuff like that to go on these auditions that I wasn't booking. So I was just like, dude, yeah. like I'm, I'm, I'm done acting. But my mom knew how much money that I was really stacking up to go to college. And she was like, Jalil should really keep acting, even if it's just every now and then. So my dad came up with the formula of telling me, anytime you book a job, you can get whatever you want. Like he didn't even word yeah, it any yeah, different. Yeah. He was like, whatever you want. And it's like, what? What do you mean, yeah. whatever I want? And it's like, if you think about the genius of that, you know, yeah. when you're 13 years old or you're 12 years old, you don't know what the hell to ask for. You just want something that's on a really high shelf. Right. And it probably cost yeah. about two hundred, three hundred dollars back then. It's Toys R Us. Exactly. Oh, I got a, I got like an 18 dollar Barbie doll. That, right. And I was like, you know, or I got a, a, a strawberry shortcake. So I was and I'm a collector, too. So it was like perfect for me to be like, oh, I need another Shirley Temple or I, I mean, a, a, a strawberry shortcake or I need another um, Care Bear or I want to I want to one time, you know, because we were going into the city, a lot of the time my auditions were based on um, what we would get to do. If we had a break in between, we could go to the Central Park Zoo or we could go to the Cabbage Patch. I don't know if you remember this, but on Fifth Avenue, they had a real Cabbage Patch store yes, with I a real re- Cabbage Patch. So yes, you could get I the doll. that. Yes. They birthed the doll out of the cabbage <laughs> yeah. and you get the doll and you get to name it and you go to the adoption room and you write sign the papers. and adopt. So one time I actually got to adopt a real Cabbage Patch doll because I was in the city for an audition. Or we get to go to the top of the Empire State Building or today we'll go get your favorite favorite little donut at that shop that you like, or, you know, that kind of thing. Food so a lot of times too. those were my little, 
Food was big. Just even even going to McDonald's after an audition was like a oh, big, yeah. big deal. McDonald's that was, was that a huge, that was treat. huge, huge treat. <laughs> so true. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> oh, I love it. Hey, folks, Jalil here. This episode is sponsored by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community where millions come together to take the next step in their creative journey with thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people on topics including illustration, design, photography, video, freelancing, and more. Now, when I learned about Skillshare, I knew I had to use it to step up my photography game. My girlfriend was always telling me that she hates my photos that I take of her on her iPhone. This is a huge conundrum for boyfriends everywhere. But I use Skillshare to learn a bit about photography, and now I'm the only one that can take her pictures. Skillshare offers membership and meaning. With so much to explore, real projects to create, and the support of fellow creatives, Skillshare empowers you to accomplish real growth. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com forward slash ever. And the first 1,000 people to use our link will get a free trial of Skillshare premium membership. That's Skillshare.com forward slash ever. Today's audiences require compelling video storytelling to win their attention. But the creative process can still be inefficient and demanding for creators. Storyblocks makes it possible for creators to keep up with the growing demands for premium video content so you can bring all your stories to life and stop sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks is a stock footage service that offers simple, affordable subscriptions plus unlimited downloads on over 1 million royalty-free video clips so you can create more video faster, easier, and with no friction. Every creator should have a Storyblocks subscription. Storyblocks features state-of-the-art tools that scale to meet your needs. Browse an ever-expanding library of 1 million plus high-quality stock assets, including 4K HD footage, After Effects, and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloads anywhere for commercial and personal use. Whether you're an emerging filmmaker or an old media pro, Storyblocks is your key to creation. Visit storyblocks.com ever for special offers. That's storyblocks.com ever. Check it out now. Um, this one might be a little personal, but what's it like when you're working that much and you do have to go through divorce? Because my parents got really close to divorce and not a lot of people know that. And, mm. and it was, it was, I remember I just started bawling. My dad basically just came into uh, to the room and I was actually at Nappy. I was there to sell our show. And he was like, yeah, I don't think I'm, oh. your mother and I are going to be together anymore. And it oh. was just like. How how old were you? Um, I was, I was probably about Nappy at that point. I was probably about 14 going to 15 somewhere. Cause it was right before the yeah. show got a hundred episodes. And uh, yeah. we were at this, uh, forget I, if you said the hotel, I know the hotel. Like I just very, I have such vivid memories of it though. But um, ultimately they didn't get a divorce because my dad had, my dad really didn't want to split up the money and he didn't want any issues with seeing me. And he was such a part of my life. My dad was at every taping. I remember we, he only oh wow he only did not come to one taping because of an argument, and I'll never forget how I felt because my dad wasn't in my dressing room watching the feed, and you know it, I, it, I apologized oh, wow. profusely, uh, but those are just you know intimate moments that that people yeah. don't realize that 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 really take place, and you know well, um, it's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. I, I thank him for 
for fighting to keep our family together during those pivotal years um, because yeah. it would have been a very different dynamic from age 15 to 21 doing the show if my dad had not been around. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. I um, I was about the same age. I want to say I was 13 and um, I was doing Clarissa in Orlando. My mom was on the cruise ship with my sister and the whole family was coming down. I think I had a hiatus and so I was going down to Miami to get on the cruise ship and my family from New York, my dad and my sister and brother were going to come down too. And my mom was on the ship with the two other sisters. So the five kids and the, so it was a one time we were all going to go for a week and it was our first cruise ever. And, uh, and my last, by the way, I've never been on one since. And we get on the cruise ship. Oh, we we're going to get on the cruise ship. My dad shows up and he wears this shirt that has a bowl with the like no sign through it. You know, the, the red circle around with the slash Dude. through it. So like, so the, the bowl is taking a poop. And it's got the no slash. And she's trying to, she wants to show off her family to her new fancy friends on the cruise ship. And he's wearing a no bullshit shirt. And it just pushed her over the edge. And she just said, that's it. I'm done. And so we spent a week on a cruise ship knowing they were going to get divorced. And um, taking our last family photos. Yeah, we were stuck together in like two or three rooms. And um, my sister and I would go dancing at the club every night and then just basically cry in the room every day like they're not going to be together and then i had to go back to orlando and my family went back to new york and my mom stayed on the cruise ship and it was you know when i went back when i wrapped that season of clarissa uh i remember the wardrobe um designer kind of taking me and hugging me and saying i don't envy what you have to go back to and i was like what what do you mean what what am i going back what am i going back to and my mom picks me up from the airport and drives me straight into new york city and to an apartment and says, this is where we live now. And I had no idea what was happening. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Where are my siblings? Where's my clothes? Where's my stuff? Oh, all your stuff will be here tomorrow. I'm going to go pick up the kids tomorrow, but you and I are going to stay here tonight. This is our new apartment. I was like, wait a second. I I went into like a hole for a few weeks until I realized I love New York. Like I always hated New York as a kid because I had to go there to work and I thought it was smelly and gross. But once I kind of like got my bearings, I was like, oh, now I have two parents to kind of I can go to my dad's for the weekend and he'll give me money and I can go to my mom. Uh, and She'll give me money uh, to ride the train. They don't know how much I got from the other parent. Like I would start to use them against each other a little bit. And um, my boyfriend lived on Long Island, but here I was living in the city. And now all of a sudden I was a city girl. I started to really take to the life of like the, you know, the dual parents. It wasn't easy, but it was. Uh, and the the hardest part was probably that my mom um, would come down to Orlando often and tell me, you know, we're very close in age. My mom and I are only like 20 years apart. So she was a pretty young mom. And she uh, told me a few too many things probably about the divorce that I didn't want to know or didn't need to know. Or, yeah. you know, I was her best friend. So she was leaning on me a lot. But at the time I was trying to work and memorize 50 pages a week. And, yep. uh, you know, that show I had monologue after monologue on Clarissa. And so I had to start memorizing on Sunday night to be able to perform like to we shot on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We didn't do an audience show, yep. but I had to do monologues on Wednesdays and Thursdays. And I would sometimes have four, four page monologues and I had to do them all straight to camera. There was no cutting. There was no editing. So I would get really serious about those. So I would spend my days in school and working and then nights just memorizing like crazy. And, uh, and you know, she'd start telling me about their woes and what's going on in New York. And I'd be like, I don't want to hear it. That kind of thing. So there was, you know, moments like that, but Um, but ultimately like it, it didn't, I I wouldn't say it like created a big problem for me or, 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 or broke my heart in, in a really terrible way. I think it was, uh, I think I realized it was like best for, they just weren't, they were, they were very different people. They started off as hippies, but then she became like, 
you know, she was working her butt off as the mom of five and became a wanted to become a career woman. And he was a fisherman who uh, and doing construction. And he, you know, just wanted to have a beer at night. And she wanted him to come home, and be with the family and help out. Right. <laughs> so, right. No, you know, I think it's an interesting, um, an interesting thing, though, that 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 I mean, look, a moment like that in, in, in your childhood is it's it's a trauma, whether you're strong enough to overcome it or not. It's it's technically a trauma. And, yeah, um, that's true. you know, the, the crying on the on the cruise ship and and, you know, coming to the realizations of, wait, I'm going to have to interact with my parents differently. But it instilled something in you that I think I have also. And sometimes I almost resent that I have it. But it's it's definitely one of my survival skills is that the show must go on. Like you talked yeah. about you talked about memorizing your lines. And that's one of the things that probably has bothered me most even about working as an adult is I now hearken back to the days of when I was a kid, like truly a kid. And I got a chance to memorize my lines and things like that with no stress at all. Like at most a spelling test or something on Friday, that's it. Right. But when you're going through parents divorcing or, um, or relationship problems or maybe something financial happened and you've got to kind of like hide that from the world and, You've got all this dialogue. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I mean, I've, I've, yeah. I've had to do 19 pages um, on camera, and the same day that I went to family court for my daughter in the morning. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and it's just, yeah. I think you you learn to hyper focus in a way. Like that's you it. Hyper focus. Like, yeah. To compartmentalize and hyper focus. And it's like, yeah, you definitely. Yeah. I mean, this business is not easy. It is not for the faint of heart. It's not. It's not you know, rocket surgery, but it's, it's like, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of elements to it that, that, that are uncomfortable, that are embarrassing, that are, um, you know, I don't, on one hand, you might, you work for like 14 hours. Like I just finished these three lifetime movies and you work for like 14 hours a day basically. But you know, some of that is sitting around. Some of that is getting your hair and makeup ready and then sitting around. And some of it is waiting for the next shot to be set up. Or, um, you know, if I'm directing, I'm like, I'm deep in it, but like, uh, you know, in in every facet of making the movie, but, um, acting wise, there can be a lot of down. It's a lot of hurry up and wait, a lot of downtime, but it's also a lot of long hours. It's a lot of like, I've got to be energetic right now. And it's three o'clock in the morning and I'm cold and tired, or, uh, I've got to be crying right now, but I'm having a really great hair day or, you know, or the opposite. I'm, I'm having a huge fight with my husband, but, um, I have to go pretend that it's Christmas and cookies are really delicious. Yep. Yep. It's, it's, it's really, I'm telling you, it's, it's a, it's an interesting psychological thing to share with people because most people feel like if I'm going through something, I have a right to break down. And I actually don't feel that way. I feel like if I'm going through yeah. something, I got to work even harder now to make sure that that does not translate to work at all. Yeah, you got you got to manipulate. I mean, in our business, we have to manipulate our emotions, which is not easy and it's not um, fun. And it's something that it's a reason why a lot of people don't do it. Yeah. You no. know, a lot of people are either not capable of manipulating your own emotions or or just don't want to. Like who wants to, you know if you're down and you can be like, that's a rainy, yucky day. But if, you know, I'm on Sabrina and I'm like, it's the best day ever. Harvey kissed me. You know, it's, you have to be able to turn it on and turn it off. Um, Speaking of Sabrina though, you know, one of the differences between your track and my track was by the time you arrived at Sabrina, you had all of this experience under your belt. And I didn't even realize that with you coming in, you just seemed like 
um, you know, a young girl that had been cast in something. And since you, you looked younger than you were, um, I mean, you were a woman. I mean, again, with siblings that were paying their bills <laughs> at age 12, you were a woman. Yeah. And it was just like, talk about what that, what it was to be like, you were, you were girl empowerment before girl empowerment existed. And you were a young <laughs> executive producer. So talk about what it was to, to be a young female executive producer in Hollywood yeah. at that particular time, stand your ground and still go through what it is to be young. I'm going to party. I'm going to this, that, and the other. But, yeah. but you're showing up and you're the executive producer at age 20. I always tell people, I've never had my own show. I've been in, I've, I've been in show business for little, little, little years. And, you know, yeah. I, the only show that I could say was my own was one season on UPN, but I just don't count that as a real network because of what I endured. So I never, <laughs> but, but so I've never really technically had my own show that I created that, um, you know, I sold the conceit and, um, and let's go, let's go forward. I've always been a guy that was considered and made the best of what I was offered. You and your mom, man, you built a ship with a $1 rights option in Sabrina. And that made you the youngest female executive producer in primetime television. What was that? To be honest, it was fabulous because, um, you know, being on Clarissa or being an actor in general, all, all I knew was being an actor, you know, for hire before that. And so there wasn't with Clarissa, that's what I was doing. But also, you know, as you play a character for many years, you you take on that character and you protect that character and you want what's best for that character. And you might say something like, I don't think the character would say that or I don't think she'd wear that or I don't think she'd do that. Um, but, you know, on Clarissa, they would trust me with that a little bit. But I didn't really do that. It was it was I always felt like it's their job to write it. It's my job to play it. So um, I would pretty much always do as scripted. I don't go off script. I don't improvise. I pretty much stick to, in fact, if I'm asked to do that, it terrifies me. I stick to the script and I make it work and I come up with a reason why it works. And, um, which is, which is kind of rare, I think in this industry, it seems like a lot of people want to make it their own. And, and that makes sense to me, but it's just not something I ever did. I, I always felt like if they wrote it, there's a reason. And I got to find that reason and play it. And, um, and then when Sabrina came along, yeah, I got to be the boss. And my mom was the real boss, though. Like I was I was second fiddle to my mom for sure, because she was the one hiring and firing, choosing them. But if I said I want I want to meet the violent femmes or I want Blondie on the show. Blondie was on the show. Violent femmes were on the show. I had a crush on one of the monkeys. Davy Jones came on the show. You know, it was like whatever kind of I wanted to manifest uh, the Sabrina movies every year. I didn't want to do Sabrina movies in the summer, but ABC had bought these movies from us. And my mom had it had the job of convincing me to be in these movies. And so she found out I really wanted to remake the movie Roman holiday, which um, Audrey Hepburn had started. Okay. So she did a witch version. She hired a writer to write a witch version said, Hey, you want to go to Italy and shoot this movie? And I was like, yeah, I do. She's like, we'll bring your boyfriend. We'll bring your hair and makeup team. We'll, you know, and then the next year I was like, I don't want to do another one. I don't want to do another one. She told the network she wants to, um, she really wants to learn to scuba dive and go to Australia. Okay. So we did Sabrina down under. So I spent my summer in Australia learning to scuba dive, (laughs) you know, it was like, so I got, and I got to bring my friends along for the ride, which is always my favorite part. My favorite part of producing is being able to hire the people I like and I want to be around and that I think are talented. And I mean, hence you being in SantaCon, like, me being able to direct SantaCon years ago, I got to put so many people that I thought were so incredibly talented. John Ratzenberger. People I've wanted to work with or have worked with. Yeah, John yeah. Ratzenberger, who I adore. We both love um, him. Uh, 
Oh my gosh, Scott Grimes, who I just think is so incredibly talented. Yeah. Barry Watson, who I'd never worked with before, but look, really looked forward to. And since then, I worked with him like three times now. Um, you know, I just feel like that's the that's the power of being the executive producer is like getting to work with the people you love, getting a little creative influence, having people take your voice seriously. And I got that on Sabrina. I got that at 20 years old. And that show afforded me to buy my first house at 21. And that was for me so golden growing up the way I grew up. I feel like I held on to that. I, I, I know how special that was. I know how, how blessed I am to have had those opportunities, but, um, you know, and a lot of that comes with executive producing, but I wouldn't have executive produced without my mom. Like I know it's really, you know, I, the show wouldn't have, I don't think gotten sold without me, but it would never have happened without her. So it's, you know, we really, and, and, you know, with all this me too stuff that's been going on and whatnot, when people ask me about it, I have to honestly say it hasn't happened to me. I think because my mom was always, even though, she was gone for those few years there. She was always there. Your and mom she was, was always, and because she was my producer. Oh, totally. <laughs> so that wasn't I mean, she, they called her the dragon lady. <laughs> Even on Clarissa, they called her the dragon lady. She wouldn't let them on Clarissa. She was like, you're not plucking her eyebrows. You're not putting makeup on her. She's not going to wear mascara. You're going to like, she is a little girl and she's going to look like a little girl. You know, and so yeah. she was, even though she wasn't a producer on Clarissa, she was like, she is my mom. And she is like, and of course they call her the dragon lady, or you can call her a stage mother or all this other stuff. I but call she's her job is to protect me first and foremost. <laughs> I call yeah. Um, so then, you know, you don't, so then I didn't have to run into all the other issues that other people have to like feeling like, should I, um, you know, join the casting couch or should I, you know, all these other things. I had my mom there to protect me. It's, I got a taste of what you did for much longer. And the reason why was because, like I said, technically Family Matters wasn't my show. So every time there came an opportunity for me to do something, I had to unfortunately consider whether or not it was going to piss off my adult cast members. And so I kind mm. of always grew up taking a little bit less than what I may have deserved at the time because I had the kind of adult cast members who would make for a contentious set and maybe even scuttle the entire ship and not realize that they had ruined something good for everybody. So when I got an opportunity, mm. even I was asked, Jalil, do you want to direct? And I literally was like, no, I would never direct because if you let this person or that person direct, those would just be harder weeks for all of us. And so what I did do, though, because I do have a I have a passion for um, I have a passion for um, alts and jokes is is I, I fell in love with writing. And so I got a chance okay. to have new edition on the show and um, Larry Johnson on the show. Those were my episodes. Like I wrote those episodes. And even still, I wrote an episode and another adult cast member decided they wanted to write. And they turned in an, oh. eight, an 84 page, 30 minute script <laughs> that everybody oh my that everybody had to fix. So That's like three episodes. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so it was like, yeah, here's my episode. You guys fix it, but make sure I get the credit. And so it was like, uh. I... When you're dealing with those kind of politics, that's why it's like I kind of actually envied you when you came along and you may not have known that where I was just like, yo, man, who is this girl that I'm the lead in for? And she got way more stuff than me. <laughs> she's like, she's running the ship, man. And I'm like, I got a kowtow. I'm lucky if I even get a freaking parking space that I want with, with the guys that I'm working with. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh. Oh, well, uh, well, thanks for saying that. I appreciate that. You just never knew that. It was was recognized. Yeah, no, it was very recognized. I mean, everybody knew that Melissa and her mom, like they were really the boss. Like I had four bosses and adult cast members that felt some kind of way. And when you're 16, 17, 18 years old, I remember a very specific moment, even as a matter of fact, um, 
I had a bunch of tests at school at UCLA and it was just, you know, obviously studying in college is going to be different than studying in grade school and, and acting. And they would frequently try to shoot the adults out early in the morning to get them off uh, just for ego sake. Yeah. Just for ego sake. Yeah. And I remember I was like, yo, like I got a study group I got to get to. Why am I hanging around so you can shoot out them? And I got to yeah. stay here until five o'clock and start shooting at five o'clock until nine o'clock. I got a study group I got to do. Well, you know, it's just the way it worked out today. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll work on it, work on it. And I remember in this one uh, moment, this one moment, I was like, you know what? No, I'm not taking this. And I literally, I went to our, our, um, our producer, our line producer at the time. And I said, Miles, if you can't shoot me right now, then you'll shoot me tomorrow. And he's like, what are you talking about? He said, if you can't shoot me right now, you're going to shoot me tomorrow. And I went and I got in my car and I started driving off the lot. And I look back and I see this chubby guy chasing my car towards the gate, <laughs> chasing me. And I was like, and at this point, it's almost intoxicating what I've done and what I'm about to set off. And he catches up to my car. Miles catches up to my car. He goes, Jilla, please just, okay, we're going to shoot you right now. Just come back. And I'm like, uh, really? Right now, uh, we're going to shoot you. I'm like, Okay. And I come back to the set and it's weird. It's like crew, people, everybody's just kind of quiet. And the adults, the actors, they don't even want to really kind of be around me. And I'm like, whatever. I had to get to this study group. Uh, they basically kind of used to let me sneak into athletic study group at UCLA. So the athletes always, uh -huh. the athletes always got better stuff for the tests. So if you could study with the athletes, uh, you had, oh man, you had all this stuff. So as long as I got a chance to study with the basketball players, I was ace in tests. Um, and I was like, I was not awesome. missing this so that the mother on our show could be like, I got home and beat traffic. And it yeah. was like, that was the first day for me where I felt power. And then yeah. that was that one moment. But then, then I, 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 I go on to become an adult actor. And then I discovered that adults are playing these games all the time with each other on mm. way pettier and higher levels. Who's got the oh, bigger yeah. dressing room? Who's, you know, who's going to do coverage? Who's going to stand in for coverage and stuff like that? And it was like, are you, I noticed we both did another show, Dancing with the Stars. And, and, oh, you, yeah. and you said Dancing oh. with the Stars spooked you. And I felt like for me, I felt like Dancing <sighs> with the Stars was when I became an, a full-fledged adult in the business. Like I was an adult. But I wasn't an adult adult until I it's survived funny. Dancing with I, the Stars. So I want to know your opinion about I that. I thought that was going to happen. You know, I feel like I'm the only person that didn't enjoy that experience. I love to dance. When I was a kid, like you were saying, you wanted to do sports instead of auditioning. Yeah. I wanted to dance. I actually was teaching on Saturdays at 10 years old so that I could t afford point classes on Monday. Um, so, so I could so go ambitious. do ballet on Monday. You're and I would so dance ambitious. like six days a week. I, yeah, I figured out that if I could student teach for the little kids on Saturdays, that they would let me have free ballet classes on Monday. So that's gangster. I was um so <laughs> so so anyway, so I love to dance. So when Dancing with Stars came about, I think it was the first season they asked me to do it, and I was like, nah, I, I no, I was gonna do it, but I was pregnant, and so I couldn't. And so that's I was pregnant reason. for like two seasons. Yeah. Yeah. I was pregnant for two. Actually, I was in a deal with Fox too, but they didn't know I was pregnant. But two seasons went by and uh, I was pregnant. And then they didn't ask me and they said they weren't going to, because I was like, I'm not pregnant anymore. I can do the next season. And they're like, no, you're, you have too much experience. I'm like, I danced till I was like 12 at a local studio. What do you mean? I had to. So then years went by and they asked me season nine. And I was like, I wasn't going to do it out of uh, holding a grudge. Like, I'm not going to do it now. It's too late. It's too late. But Soleil, our, our friend Soleil Moonfry, yep. 
convinced me. She said, you know what? You've always been seen as a little girl, as very vanilla, the girl next door. This is your chance to be sexy. This is your chance to break out and do something different. And so I did it. And, but the problem is I was put with a partner who is very traditional. You know, if you do the waltz, it's the waltz and you're wearing white. And if you, everything was very, still very vanilla for me, still very girl next door. Nothing was out of the box. Nothing was different. We had a cast of 16. So it was hard to make your mark and kind of take over any sort of voting, whatever. And I didn't think the judges would bother me, but when they pick on you, when you get it right, like I got the very first dance I did, I was so proud. I've never been so happy and so proud of myself. I made it through without embarrassing myself. I didn't miss a step. It might've been the most graceful thing or whatever, but I did it. (laughs) I freaking did it. Right. I didn't pee my pants in front of the audience. I didn't like fall. I didn't miss a step. Like I was so proud of myself and I'm jumping up and down. And then you walk over to the judges and they're like, eh. And all of a sudden, because I didn't really didn't think they were going to have any effect on me. I just I went from like cloud nine to like hell so quickly. I was I fell so quickly and I was like, that sucked. Like what just happened there? And I wanted to work hard and really work hard. Like I had left my children behind for the first time since I'd had my two little ones. My first two kids were really small and I left them on the East Coast and went out there for 10 weeks to win this thing. Right. And I went out there and I was ready to win it. And it seems like my partner was more into music at the time, didn't really want to practice. I was ready for like the late nights, being up all night. I had called Capizio and gotten every kind of like blister protector. I had Epsom salts ready. I was like ready for sore blister. Like, let's do this thing. I'm going to bleed. I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be miserable, but I'm going to be like, I was ready. And they, and he was like, we'd rehearse like two hours a day. And I was like, oh, Okay. So it wasn't what I expected. It wasn't the experience, but it, I will say that one thing that changed for me was it's when I got my own name. It's when I became Melissa. Um, mm. Before that on the street, it was always, Hey, Clarissa. Oh, Sabrina. Oh, Clarissa. Oh, Sabrina. And all of a sudden it was Melissa. And How did I, made you I, feel? I got, I became like, my name became more of a household name as opposed to a character. So it definitely served a great purpose. I didn't get to do all the dancing I wanted to do. Um, I didn't get to bleed, but I tried. Um, and you know, it was, it was a little bit of a letdown and I would love to go back and just try to enjoy the experience more, but I, I got too wrapped up in it all. Right, right, right. I, I, um, I went to dance too. I'm, I'm, I'm an athlete at heart for anybody who really knows me. And I was, I was definitely reticent doing the show, but when I agreed to do the show, I was like, all right, I'm taking it seriously. Just like you, I'm competitive. I'm like, let's go. Yeah. I thought I was competitive until that. Maybe I'm really not. I don't know. No, it was what it is, is again, is, is the show is very heavily produced for what, for people have to very heavily. It's very heavily produced. So, you know, scores and remarks are not necessarily a reflection of the performance that you just saw. They are, but also, I found there was so much more time put into, can you say that again? Or can you come over here? We're going to dress you up in an outfit and take you to this restaurant and film a sequence here. So you're not going to get to practice today. Yep. Even though you only have two days to learn the dance. And I was like, uh, what more production moment, more production moment. And I was like, ah, I want to dance. Yeah. So I I think we have to define that for people. What that means heavily produced is that the network is much more concerned about the package that they film that airs before you dance then they are you yep. actually being ready to dance. To dance, and, yeah. And, and you only have six days, exactly. really. And so, and they, they they literally hold up your music too because it was my yeah. strategy to stay one dance ahead per week. 
Yeah. And yeah, I wanted to do that too. Right? My partner wouldn't. And they wouldn't know. Yeah. They wouldn't sew the same thing. They wouldn't. They won't even give you the they music. They wouldn't even give yeah. you the music. They held my music back on purpose because they feel yeah. like it's good TV for you to be on edge, nervous, and maybe mm-hmm. not even really all that prepared. And yeah, they're trying to cause strife between you and your partner or you and the other contestants or somebody that might be in the audience right. or, you know, that kind of thing. So that, yeah, the produced moments were really what drove me nuts. I wasn't there for drama. My attitude was like, look, I played Steve Urkel. If I could just get through my dances without tripping and falling in with any kind of grace, I think you might get some ratings from that. I think <laughs> and they're like, yeah, 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 nah, nah, hey, we're not interested yeah. in that. We, we, we actually want to see you slip and slide and will you wear the suspenders? So that was, that <laughs> oh, was, no. yes. Oh man, don't yeah. get me wrong. So it was like, I just, Learning how to handle. Um, well, it's funny. Wait, did you do that? Did you wear the suspenders or do a no, dance? I didn't that was... wear the damn suspenders on there because because well, I knew I knew if I did it that that would be the only clip that they showed. It was like even. Well, let this... me ask you because that's really funny you say that because um, they came to us one Sunday because of course you know Monday you do the dance Tuesday you get judged and that's the day you're allowed to yeah. start practicing again for the next. So they came to us on a Sunday night and they said we want your song to be Abracadabra. And uh, my partner was like, absolutely not. He turned to me. He's like, don't you want to get away from the Sabrina thing? Don't you want to get away from the witch thing? Don't you want to? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. That's not why I'm here. I'm here to do what Soleil said, you know, be more sexy, be more, um, you know, more Melissa. Yeah, less show you of Janet Jackson belly button. There you go. But now I regret, I know, right? <laughs> but now I regret it. I actually wish I had done that because it would have been a really cool dance. It's a great song. And it probably would have gotten the fans a little more like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love this. Like. You know what? It and was, I wish I had done it. I did it. I did a Stefan tribute, but I was not going to let them. We were there to be. We were amongst sexy people, dude, like Val and Max and them, dude. Yeah. These sexy people. Yeah. You're not going to clown. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to clown me up in front of these people. And it was like, I even, even when, <laughs> even when Alfonso Ribeiro agreed to do the Carlton, you know, Alfonso's a good dancer and he is a talented yeah. dude in a lot of like, I don't even know if he understands yeah. that I know how talented he is. Like, Alfonso, you were a dancer on Broadway before any of this BS, right? And yeah. And anytime they talk about him being on Dancing with the Stars or they show a clip of him being on Dancing with the Stars, they never show his best dances that ultimately won him the show. They um, only show him doing the Carlton. And it's such a trite thing. It's like, look, it's... Cool. Which is now my son does it with his Fortnite. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You see what so I'm like, you know, it's... it's uh, And he don't get no money from that either. So he's <laughs> not mad happy about no, that. No, I know. Yeah. Um, but so it's like, you know, if... I don't mind ever leaning into the legacy. And, and, and you yeah. have to lean into the legacy. You have to do it for your own sanity. You just... You really do. But I don't ever like taking it to a cheeky place where I know now yeah. you're going to disregard all the effort that we just put into this work that we've been doing yeah, for seven and true. eight and nine weeks. You want it to be sexy. You were there to bleed. There is, you want it, you, yeah. you earn the right for people to say, Melissa did a great job tonight. And I enjoyed watching yeah. her, not Clarissa, not Sabrina did a yeah. great job, but Melissa trained this week, all these hours and look at the performance that she gave. And I, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's literally a choice to produce the show in such a way to say, Nah, we're not going to celebrate that. We think we can get more ratings by just creating some acrimony. Like, whoa, that's yeah. <clears throat> that's a tough thing to accept. Um, yeah. And, and it's a tougher thing to handle with grace. And that's what I mean where I'm like, well, it's funny. I handled it with grace by you know, the end. I wanted to have so much fun doing it. And that's what I thought I was going into it for. But I don't think I realized how badly I wanted to be a dancer that to have it 
to be not feel like I was successful at that in the way that I had always dreamed I would be when I was a little girl. Like there's yeah. one thing to be like, I'm going to be a ballerina when I'm big and then not be able to do a waltz gracefully. You're like, wait, I'm actually a better Latin dancer than I or I can do the Charleston. I'm, maybe I'm a tap dancer, like, and trying to figure that out and be like, oh, like my dream, my childhood dreams were crushed in that moment. You know, I was like, eh. but it's funny. You say like lean into the legacy. What's so funny, just not to segue away from dance with stars, but to talk about Sabrina for a second. Um, you know, that whole witch culture and stuff. It's so funny because my co-stars, like especially Caroline Ray, really took to the witch culture, really? really still talk about the witchy aspect and constantly bringing up the fact that we're witches, we're witches, we're witches. <laughs> and I've never once thought about the witch culture of the show. It was always a TV show. I was playing. It was more magic than it was witchcraft. And, you know, in the beginning, I maybe read some witch books and people give me gifts that were witches, but it was a lot of bewitched stuff and stuff like that. But and I looked into witch culture and I learned why they use broomsticks and why they say a woman flies off the handle. And you can look that up yourself. Okay. Um, but you can imagine what, what witches actually use broomsticks for. I mean, the potions that had to get into certain membranes and stuff like that. So I looked up stuff like that. But like, I never really got into the witch culture. And it's so funny because when I go out to these Comic Cons and stuff and I meet fans, they want to hear witchy things. And I kind of wish I had held on to that. Like, I, I noticed the new cast of the new Sabrina on Netflix they're really like talking about witchcraft stuff. They're talking about, um, you know, their familiars or they're talking, they're talking pets and they're the difference between the wizards and the witches. And, and I'm like, I never really got into that. And I kind of wish I had now, but to me, it was a job. I did my job and then I went out at night and party because I wanted to go dancing with my friends. I don't think (laughs) it wasn't about the culture to me. I don't think you had to look at it that way. I mean, you know, the nineties and the early two thousands just tonally were very different from now. Now you have to Mm. stay true to a level of authenticity that will be scrutinized by an Internet crowd that is literally just Mm. scouring over every detail. So. Oh, yeah. So if you say Sabrina, the teenage witch for this generation, this generation is like, all right, what you about to tell me about witch culture? You see what I'm saying? And it's like and we're going to make sure that you're on point about every aspect of witch culture. Nah, man, we were in the in the 90s and early 2000s. Our job was to sell a vibe. Our job was to sell a chemistry, yeah. you know what I'm saying, between your co-stars. Um, does she really yeah. like him? Do you guys really like each other in real life? You know, that, that's the kind of stuff that that people yeah. really cared about. You- well, and, you know, and they always say like actors, like like comedic actors, you have to really believe the stuff to even yes. sell the joke. Like you have to really deliver. You can't just breeze over it. It really has to be solid and, and, and from a real place. And uh, it's funny because, you know, doing these TV shows, like you have to, it's all about the, it's about the character. It's not, it's about the character connections. It's about the character development and how your character develops and how it relates to other characters, not necessarily about whatever the blanket of the show. So for my show, it was witchcraft, magic, whatever, but it was really about her relationship with her aunts and her, you know, and, and her relationship with her friends and the boy that she liked. And, and it was really about those dynamics more so than it was ever really about even though the witchcraft and the magic made it the was the fun element was infused with this great thing where we could have some fun and really change it up but it wasn't really um for me it was you know it was more about playing the character and who is this girl and why is she so scared or sad or hurt or trying to fix things or um you know feels like she doesn't fit in i think you and i both share that i'm realizing now that for both of us, it was an out-of-body experience. The character was a third person to us. We weren't living in the skin of our character. We were embodying the character yeah. at work, and we were leaving our character at work, and then going to be Julia, at work, and then going to be Melissa. And it's like I think that's one of the things Absolutely. that make you so normal and relatable. 
you know, I mean, even when we went to the baseball game and I'm seeing you there with your family behind me yeah. or whatever. And I was like, she's a real kickback girl. Like she just really wanted a hot dog and peanuts and just, you know, watch the, <laughs> watch the ball. I mean, your Yankee plug was nice. Your Yankee, Yankee plug was nice. <laughs> I remember that game that we went to. It's a benefit of being a New Yorker sometimes. They really, you know, the Yankees and the Giants really take care of you. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have to say this, though. Um, you were quite the partier. Like you, 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 you know, when you worked with Britney Spears on, uh, on, on Drive Me Crazy, that you, you sneaked her away and you guys went out. So between you and Britney, who's drinking who under the table? Oh, no. You know, we never really we never really drank together. I'm not a big drinker. I am a partier, which means to me just being social, okay. getting out. I'm always a planner. I plan everything. I'm planning a girl's trip right now, a, co- a COVID friendly co- girl's trip, I should say. Um, and we're, you know, like I'm, my friends always say that if I'm not around, nothing happens. I'm the one that's constantly like, when are we getting together? What are we doing? My girls, my, my girlfriends and my, my, my relationships with girls are are really, really important to me. Um, making time for people. I say, always say like you, you don't, um, what is it? You don't find, you don't find the time you make the time. So like you, you know, it's not like I'll call you when I find the time. It's like, I'm going to make the time to call you. I'm going to make the time to connect. We're going to go to lunch. We're going to have dinner. And I'm also a, a, the more the merrier kind of person. And maybe that's because I come from a family of eight that it's always like, yeah, everybody come, you know, we have to be able to fit everybody. Let's make this work. Um, so, you know, I think that in that way, I was always very much like, you know, and I, and I love to dance and I love to be social. So living in LA, it was like, there was a different, the promoters that would let you in the door. I love the aspect of being a celebrity in the fact, in the fact that like you'd go to these clubs and if you knew the promoter, you got in and it just felt really Special, you know, to go to a VIP I, table. I feel like or we went whatever. to the same and, spot. Same spot. You were probably like a queen at Joseph's and places like that. Or oh yeah, or, Joseph's. Yeah. That's what it was called. I can never remember it. Come on, man. Joseph's like I said, and I was, like Las Palmas. Las <laughs> Yeah, there were a bunch of those, and like I loved going out. And every night of the week, it was a different place, and I loved H-Wood, going out. But you I better believe. H-Wood. I mean, when last call happened at one thirty, I'd have one gin and tonic. I'd hit. What'd you say? H Wood was another one that I loved. Uh, did you ever go to? Oh H-Wood? yeah, yeah. That was in the, I think so. That was in the Kodak Center. It's become it's the same Bootsy Bellow guys now, and I love those cats now. But like, oh yeah, yeah. But, but it was yeah. when it was H Wood though. It was it was it was popping. Yeah, I just lo- I loved going out dancing. I loved going and seeing familiar faces and kind of meeting up with people. I'd have one gin and tonic, and I had to go home by one thirty. I was out the door because even if there was an after party or something happening, um, I because at six a.m. I had to be at work, so it was yeah. like all right, I can ha- I know I can have one gin and tonic, and if I get five hours of sleep, I'm good. So it was that kind of, you know, very responsible, careful. Um, you know, I wasn't a big partier, never got into drugs. Honestly, in my life, I've only seen one person ever do cocaine. Um, so like, you know, the, I was very um, c- kind of a controlled behavior in a way. And, you know, over overthought everything. And I always knew that there was going to be a hundred. Yeah, there's a hundred people watching you on set. One know that you know your lines, hitting your marks, and have that energy that you need to give. So I better freaking know my stuff, or I'm going to be embarrassed as hell tomorrow. So and talked about in town, and then you know, and then as soon as that word starts to spread, insurance doesn't cover you, and you know, I learned all the horror stories, and I wanted to avoid all that. So I very much was controlled behavior, but I did, I did see that Brittany looked a little. She came to the set, and she was on Sabrina, and. Um, I asked her to go to lunch with us and she couldn't, and she looked so downtrodden with all these people around her telling, Oh no, you can't, you have to do this and you have to do that. And you have to go to work out and then you have to meet with Pepsi and you have to go to, you know, it was all this stuff that she had to do. And she was 17. And so I snuck her out of her hotel and took her out dancing one night, but I also made the mistake of leaving her there because (laughs) 
um, you left Britney Spears left at the, the club. Pro- the promoter was like, "I'll get her," because I was like, "I gotta go home. I gotta go to work tomorrow." Yeah, I was, and the promoter, she was in this table with all these people, and the promoter was like, "Don't worry, we'll get her home." Yeah, I was don't like, worry. "Okay," but I, I lied to her bodyguard, and I got yeah, so I felt bad. So I mean, I don't think she was she wasn't drinking or anything. She was just having fun. She was just like letting loose for the first time, like able to be around people her own age and enjoy herself for a second. I knew her bodyguard. She was dragged from place to place. Yeah, I knew her. I knew Big Rob. Yeah, I knew her bodyguard. Yeah, I knew Big Rob. And and, and, uh, and I I, I ran into her at Joseph's one time and I was actually too shy because he was like, yo, like, you know, what, what, you know, y'all should kick it. And I was too shy (laughs) to, uh, to step to her. And I just kind of let it, I just kind of let it Well, she was kind of a shy, believe it or not. Like she's not, She's a little shy too. Yeah, she's no, she was like, shy oh, too. I like, caught that. Not, yeah, no, I caught that. Like, yeah, she's not super out there. Like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, right? Yeah, no, I'm like that, but she's not. You know, she's. I mean, as far as I remember, I haven't seen her in decades. But <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, so it it might. And I know I, I wrote a lot about like uh, in my book. Melissa explains it all. I wrote a lot about you know going out and partying and some of my wild days. But that was all encapsulated in a in a few years. I just was a little late to it. You know, when kids are partying in college, I was partying in my early twenties. Right. Um, when I finally hit LA, when I had my own house and could have parties, I just love to entertain. Like we're, we're looking to move right now and I'm just trying to find a house big enough to have parties. I just want to have parties. I just want people to come over. I want to dance. I want to talk all night. I just, you know, and that's it's my funny thing. how people treat your house though. When you invite more than 50 people to your crib, <laughs> right. And I'm like, you go into your guest bathroom. You're like these animals. I, how, how dare I, how dare they call themselves my friends. I'm saying the number is 50. I figured it out too. Once it gets over 50, they literally turn your house into a carnival porta potty. Like it's you, you oh, have, it's a it's a frat house. Yeah, yeah. you have to hire yeah. somebody to wipe the piss off of toilets. And you, <laughs> and you the know wall. these people. You know kidding? these people. See, it you is, have a little girl. I got boys, by the way. I'm wiping <laughs> piss off the wall all the time. <laughs> My boys can't aim for crap. But uh, yeah, no, it, you know, but luckily maybe coronavirus is good for that because it keeps us under 50, right? Well, <laughs> it, it does that. Listen, I'm, I'm just, I wanted to give you props because I felt like you were a very strategic and good partier and people need to know, hey, look, Melissa Joe Hart party with the best of them. I'm talking NSYNC, Britney Spears, all of them. She didn't do any drugs. She got to work at six a.m. I tried to make. I tried to break into Michael Jordan's suite at the Kentucky Derby once, but that didn't work. <laughs> Michael would have party with you. You know, he's Michael got Michael Jordan at the Derby. If, if he, well, his bodyguards did not want to let me in. I was going in to party with Mike Strahan. I was going in with Strahan, I and I was like knocking on the door. I didn't know it was Jordan's. I didn't know it was Jordan's suite. But I'm like that, and the bodyguards were like, "Who? What?" And they disappear for a while, and then they're like, "Come back out." They're like, "Nah, you can't." You. I was like. Okay, I don't know what's going on, but I just know Strahan's in here and he told me to come down and they're like, nah, no, nah, no, nah, you should go. And like, they wouldn't let me in. I was like, damn it. Then I found out it was Jordan's. I was like, I should have partied with them. Hey, y'all. It's them. It's Jaden. It's Carly Hansen. It's Oliver Tree. What's going on? It's Ian Dior. And we all know Valentine's Day is the most romantic time of the year. Whatever. My friends and I are about to turn the whole holiday upside down in our new scripted holiday series, Valentine's Day in Hell. First, we spent Halloween in hell. Now, you're invited to be a part of the next musical podcast from our In Hell series. This time around, the devil is playing games with all of our hearts, trying to ruin our Valentine's Day plans by dragging us down to the depths of hell. In all these ways, in all these ways. 
In each episode, you're going to hear new original music from artists like Ian Dior, Jaden, Carly Hansen, and me, Fat. Tune into the Valentine's Day in Hell comedy horror musical podcast. Subscribe for full episodes, bonus material, and original music. This February, check out Valentine's Day in Hell. Brought to you by Audio Up and Podcast One. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, listen up. I've got a fun new podcast. It's called Radical Musings with me, Rosanna Arquette. It's having conversations with some of my most favorite people. Innovators, resistors, artists like Ronan Farrow. Very early in our history, we talked about people who know about government malfeasance should blow the whistle about it. Jane Fonda. Look at what happened after George Floyd was murdered and there were people marching with Black Lives Matter. That brought me great hope. Those who push boundaries and often those fearless enough to fight for justice and equality. I want to know what inspires them and fuels their passion and how that passion manifests itself. Welcome to Rabbi Mordecai Finley. I feel my work is to bring healing to humankind. Susie Landolfi. I can't just keep saying I just got shit from my childhood. I also got tremendous strength. This is Radical Musings, brought to you by the fine folks at Audio Up. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know what's so funny, though, about, about celebrity is no matter how big you get as a celebrity, you still ultimately come up against another celebrity wall at some point that says, I'm sorry, who are you? You're not on the list. <laughs> <laughs> I got that sometimes with Britney, even because of her team and her people around her. And her, when when it wasn't Big Rob as her bodyguard or her aunt wasn't her assistant, all of a sudden it was like, Brit, Brit, and she didn't see me. So it was like, and they're like, you know, they just shoved past you. You're like, oh, OK, never mind. I'll see you later. And it, was, it was so funny because I, I, I maybe you can identify with this, but even back in my nightclub days, um, it's like I would tell my friends, too. I'd be like, look, this is how we're going to do this. We're going to pull up to the front. But if this dude flinches. I got to bounce. And it's like, well, you know, just give it a second. and said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Okay. If I'm standing out there, everybody's looking at me. You know what I'm saying? Now you get into the smartphone age. People get their phones out. They're judging how long it's going to take for us to get in. So look, if the plug is going to play games, they know who we are. Okay. They don't have to be a fan. Maybe yeah. they didn't like the show. Maybe they yeah. wanted to watch something else on another network. But this dude knows who I am. So this dude, you, you, that, and, and one of the things that you did to maximize your chances of getting in is you had to be tight with your crew. So you couldn't be pulling up with like, you know, eight, nine, yeah. 10 people at a strange club. It's like, okay, look, it's going to be me, you. All right, her. Okay, her. Okay, I got four. I think I can do four. You got to have some girls. You got to have, have some girls, right? Got to have some no, girls. No, there was one time in New York. <laughs> See, the difference between New York and L.A., L.A., they know their celebrities. They know their their list. They know they'll spot you and they'll pull you in a lot of the time. New York, I'll never forget. There was one time people are always like, oh, why don't you use your name? I'm like, doesn't always work, dude. Like, I mean, it was early days, maybe early Sabrina, but I'm trying to get into a nightclub in New York. And I'm there with my mom. I always went out with my mom. My mom loves to party. So my mom and my stepdad, I don't know if you ever met my stepdad, but he's a character. He's like, he's like a Bronx boy, like loud, like just obnoxious. And so we're there and I'm like, Melissa Joan Hart. And they're like, who? No, get, get in line, get in line. I was like, oh, my stepdad goes up and he's in a suit and he goes, Hi, I'm with CAA. He pretends to be an agent. This is my client. And they let him in. <laughs> they didn't let me in. I'm so mad. He faked. He's such a liar. And like, so I was like, never again. I'm not doing that again. I love it. Listen, I'm going to let you go soon. But I do want to talk to you before you leave a little bit about directing. Because it's just, yeah. it's something that I admire that you do. You're good at it. I've watched you get better. I'm so disappointed that I, I wasn't on the big show 
the Big Show Show episode oh, that you I directed. Know. For people who don't know, yeah. uh, I'm on a show called The Big Show Show on Netflix. And Melissa was one of our directors. And uh, but she yeah. did not direct the episode that I was in. And that's just the way it happens in rotation. Yeah. But, you know, I had um, I had show texted me throughout the week and, you know, I would get pictures and see that you were there. But ultimately, like. Other than just knowing that you need to grow and you need to expand as a female director, what obstacles did you have to overcome coming from a place of child stardom, coming from a place of being a woman? Um to gain your confidence as a director. Because I felt like even when you were doing the SantaCon, you were still getting your sea legs then. Well, this, the SantaCon was my first uh, movie. I had I had directed myself on TV shows. I directed Melissa and Joey. I directed a bunch of Sabrina. Um, but that's when you're working with a crew you know really well. Yeah. You know exactly who the prop guy is to call in to help you with this. Or you know who the camera guy is to say this to. Or, you know, when you know everybody's names, such an easier job. When you know what their job is and what they're and, and how good they are at their job, then you know who to lean on. Um, you know, and when you have a show rolling, it's like a train. It just keeps moving. And the director helps in ways. But really, that show can go, you know, everyone will help direct that show if that's the case. Exactly. SantaCon was my first time doing a movie. So the prep I had to do for that and the nerves I had on that. And I'm also on camera for a lot of it. You know, you and I played romantic love interests in that one. Side note, uh, I always tell people the hottest I've ever been in my life physically, like heat coming off my body was in that apartment in Bridgeport, Connecticut in July in leather pants. We had blacked out the windows to make it look like night. There was no AC. We're on a third floor. You and I are on a couch snuggled up together, pretending to sleep by a fire. And I'm in like leather pants and a sweater. And we're just like wrapped up in each other. It was, I think it was about 110 degrees. (laughs) And it's like, I mean, even just stepping outside and taking off the leather pants would have like alleviated about 20 degrees of that. But I don't, I like when I remember being the hottest in my life, it was with you on that couch snuggled up pretending to sleep. That is hilarious. Just so you know. Because you're such a pro, <laughs> I wouldn't have known it. I mean, I think both of us are oh. taught to endure. So I'm like, I don't even have a recollection as that is being the hottest moment for me on any set. I'm oh. like, if it gets I remember, bad, like, it's just going to get, get bad. <laughs> Oh, it was so bad. And we had to like get up and put ice packs on our every take. We'd have to get our makeup fixed and like ice packs around our neck. And then we give them to the crew before we roll. But I think the thing with us, too, is being pros. We know the faster we get it done, the faster we're out of this situation. So let's just do it. Let's just do it. Let's just get it done. Let's do three takes in a row and be done. But uh, yeah, no, that was my first time really directing. And uh, I was in I think I shot six out of the 18 days I was in the actual movie. Um, which I had been used to being in front of the camera, but it's so much nicer to be behind the camera and not have to be in front of the camera too. figure out times for makeup and learning lines as well as shot lists. But I had the most amazing experience in that movie. Not only did I feel like we we packed it with some super talent, like one of the biggest jobs of the director is performance. And if you hire the right actors, you don't have to work. That's like check that off the list. I don't have to worry about you and Scott and Barry and everybody that was so amazing in that movie. Um, Cause everybody's bringing it, you know, you're not working on performance. And then the other thing was like, you know, figuring out angles, working with the crew, learning names. Um, you know, there's so many different elements to it. And now I feel like I'm finally getting, um, traction and there's these great programs put into place for women and people of color right now to, um, get more jobs in directing. And and then if we do a good job, hopefully we hold on to those jobs. So we're getting these opportunities now and I'm just hoping I'm able to prove myself, but I feel like also coming from a place of, first of all, growing up on set, like, no better film experience. There's a difference between a film, someone who went to film school and someone who uh, grew up on set. 
and uh, they're both have their benefits. But for people that grew up on set, it's just a natural. This is like I would I would I would do craft service just to stay on a set, you know. So there's that. But then there's also uh, working as an actor, you know what directors you've liked, how they talk to you. And you've seen other actors take direction from from directors and you know what not to say. You know what works, what might not work. Um, you know, you know how to kind of tell me something. What talk not to, to an say. actor in some shorthand? Uh, okay, so I did make the mistake <laughs> on the set of Young Sheldon. I was I was directing Young Sheldon, which I was so nervous about. Like those, you know, those writers are so great from Big Bang, and um, and you know, it's just a, it's a it's a Chuck Lorre show yeah. and, and whatnot. So you know, I wanted to be really careful. But one time, an actor. Uh, said the wrong line. So we kept rolling. And I said, I yelled out or I said, um, can you give it to me again? Uh, or, or I said the line out. I said, can you say it this way? And I, I read the line to him and he said, well, what did I say? And I just went, not that. And then I was like, oh crap. Like luckily he didn't get offended by that, but I really <laughs> he shouldn't have said that to this amazing actor who I love. And then the crew starts laughing and then we're laughing at him. I was like, oh my God, is he going to kill me? Is he going to walk off set? Like what is, you know, so don't ever say that to an actor, right? Like, <laughs> Um, unless you have a really good rapport with them, of course. But uh, yeah, I definitely kind of like uh, kind of got a little too witty with them in front of everybody and kind of while the while the cameras are rolling. But, you know, there's some actors, some actors need to be handled with kids, kid gloves and some actors you can just shorthand it. You can kind of wink at them and they know to do it again and make it better. Um, I like to say that a lot, too. Like, let's just do it again and do it better. Um, That's a good one. Because yeah. sometimes people just. It, just make it better. <laughs> no, no, because you have to come up with these things that you say that are encouraging and that are not demanding. And and like, yeah. you know, even when we were kids, you know, sometimes people would cross the line and physically put you on your mark. And, you know, here, you're going to stand here, oh, yeah. right? So it's like, in oh, this yeah. day and age, you can't, as a director, put your hands on anybody to get them to stand someplace. You have to use your words. No. Right? That's like a huge note. That's a did, huge you ever, note. did you ever work with Chuck Vinson? Was Chuck Vincent anyone you ever I, had I did direct? not work with Chuck Vincent, but I have literally seen his name on, 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 on call sheets before, though. Yeah, he did a lot of Clarissa. I think he did some Cosby and stuff. Um, he, Chuck, uh, he would do, we would do so many takes, but oh. he would always say canon take. And, you know, at Nickelodeon, it was like bigger, more energy, more energy, more energy. And then he would finally be like, all right, this is the cannon take. Like you're shooting out of a cannon. I want to hear the I want the biggest energy. I'm like, I am so exhausted from all this energy. So like but coming up with things like that, sometimes you need to center. Like I worked with a cast last year, young cast. They were getting really dark with the material. I'm like, this is a light, fun kids romantic comedy. Like, let's lighten it up. So I made them do exercises or uh, we, we we prayed as a group before our run through okay. just to bring it together and calm everybody down and center it and be like, guys, th- like the prayer was about like, just help us bring a smile to someone who needs it today. Help us stay focused for this while. Help us, you know, just just we're just bringing comedy, not 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 rocket surgery. My favorite saying. Um, <laughs> but, you know, let's let's like just let's just focus on what we have to do and then go home to our families that are waiting for us at home. And that really helped them focus and like bring it together. Um, Before that, it was like kind of a train wreck. Everything was like going in different directions. And so, and then lightening things up, helping these kids like find the comedy and things in, in bickering, like comic bickering seemed to be really difficult for them. They thought bickering should be angry and mad and bringing it down. No, 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 it can be fun. I said, I need you guys to go home and watch my show, Melissa and Joey, because Joey Lawrence and I, all we do is bicker in a really fun light, you know, and it's just a game, of, it's just a game of timing and piggybacking each other's lines. That's all. 
Yeah, it's like ping pong, yeah. and it's like and it's supposed to be fun and light, and you know. And they're like, but we're saying these awful things to each other, I'm like, but light, in a light way, <laughs> let's lighten it up. So trying to help them understand that was a real challenge, and um, but I, I find it fun. It, it's challenging. It's scary to me. It's super scary. But when I accomplish it, I there like when I've when I finished Young Sheldon or I did my first episode of Goldberg's, and I'm on a season five of a show with these actors that I'm not going to tell them what their character would do. I'm not going to find a part of the set that hasn't been used before. I'm just there. I I was like, it took me three days to realize what the hell am I doing here? What am I? I could, any of these people here could direct this. Why am I here? This newbie, this new person that's walking on the set that everybody thinks is just here for a publicity stunt. And I realized I'm there to bring new energy. I'm there to just like make this machine move. I'm there to help direct, to give, you know, the camera should be over here. The actors, you guys be over here. You guys stand here and we'll do this and we'll do that and we'll be done. And and they really appreciated my energy. And I have never felt a high like I did, except for maybe, you know, taking a bow on Broadway. Then when I directed Goldberg's or when I directed Young Sheldon, I, I accomplished one of these, these, when I finished, well, I just finished a movie with Mario Lopez called uh, Feliz Navidad that I just directed. We were the first film back, we were first production up and back and done and wrapped during the time of COVID. Props to you. So we wrapped by July 2nd, I think it was, or June, no, June 28th, we wrapped our movie and uh, we did it safely and we made a movie and then Lifetime was like, let's do another one. So I started the next one and then they're like, let's do another one. And I produced that one. Um, and so we have one I'm in called Dear Christmas, one with uh, Mario called Feliz Navidad, and then one with Vanessa Lachey called uh, Once Upon a Time in Main Street. And uh, these are three movies coming out in Lifetime later this year. And I'm so proud to say that we got three movies done in the COVID time safely. And I got to direct this one with Mario and Mario and I have worked together three times. We've done two other Christmas movies yeah. together and uh, we have a rapport and we have some fun, but uh, he doesn't really want to listen to me. I'm like his annoying little sister. So, you know, trying to slap him around, trying to get him to not, my, my constant note to him was like, please don't be smarmy. Like, can you stop being smarmy? Like you're supposed to be the widower who's like, doesn't want to date, but here you are seeing Annalyn McCord and be like, what's up hot stuff. You know, I'm like, can you not walk like that? Like, this is not saved by the bell. Like, let's not have some swagger through the hallway. <laughs> you're the principal. You know, so it was fun trying to like mess with him and, He's messing with me. Listen, and, Mario is a uh, proud Latino man. So you directed him. <laughs> I already know. Choose your words carefully, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. He loves it. When I, I poke and prod, I make such fun of him. And I think he loves it because I think everybody else is always like, Mario. You know, they all melt yeah, around exactly. him. Like, not me. Not me, baby. Nope. <laughs> I think my biggest, the, the thing, the biggest thing that I admire in a director is a director that knows how to manage his takes or her takes um, Mm. based on who needs to elicit the biggest performance. I remember I did an Mm -hmm. episode of Castle and um, they did all of the, the, the stars coverage first, but I had the most dialogue. And so when he turned the camera on me, he did like literally 16 takes going my direction in various coverages and I had pretty much exhausted myself in their coverage. So I, by the time you, yeah, I had done my best stuff off camera. For I them. can't stand that. Yeah. And, and so Stana tells the French director, she was like, why didn't you shoot him first? And it's like, it's that moment where I'm like, cause you the star baby. <laughs> and he, yeah. to, he wasn't yeah. thinking about my black ass right now. Yeah. And so it's like, no, I know. I really try to, I try to always, I like, especially when I'm doing other people's TV shows, I try to really take into consideration, like 
who needs to ramp up. Exactly. Sometimes older actors need to ramp up yep. or someone doesn't have their lines yet. They're like, not, not yet, not yet. Like I got to work into it. And other times people are like, I'm only doing this one, you know, or they got a crying scene or something. It's like, let's get that. Right. Do you want, and uh, a lot of time, if there's a really sensitive scene, I'll ask people, do you want to go first or you want some time to like, you know, so I, I, and I think being an actor, we bring that as directors, like, that's something we've experienced. We can bring that. A hundred percent. Like I totally see you just following in Penny Marshall's footsteps because you bring so Aww. much, you bring so much consideration to what the actor would want in, in these circumstances. And it just sucks to me that sometimes executives don't realize that it was like, listen, this woman has been on a set since she was freaking four and five and six years old. She's going to have a greater understanding of what the actresses and actors around her that she has to direct want for themselves. And I mean, literally, the, the the day after you left the big show show uh, on Netflix, they were all, oh, we love Melissa. They were, we love Melissa. We love Melissa. And I have to think about certain directors that were there that was like, yeah, she should have been there instead of that guy. Um, well, there were, it's funny because on that show, it was the first time I kind of had a chance because that was some of my crew from No Good Nick. So I had the chance ah, okay. to maybe direct the pilot. And it's my like my my goal as a director is to direct pilots because right. that's like yeah. that's the key that's to where you get the money. television. Right. Yeah, it's the money. That's the that's the notoriety. That's like the the highest you get as a television director. And so I was. Yeah. So I was like trying. I'm trying my goal. I don't think you can do this as an actor, but as a director, I can say in three years, I want to direct a pilot. And so that was going to fast track me if I could do big show that was going to put me up two years on my goal to direct a pilot. And they they met with me. They liked me. They wanted me. They were like, we're not going to let you do the pilot, but we'll let you do a different one. And then of course, I do the very last episode. It's a huge episode. It's Halloween. I'm trying to get these kids out to go trick-or-treating. I have 200 uh, background guests and uh, background actors, and we're trying to get these kids out by 4 o'clock for some trick-or-treating. And we have, like, the biggest day of production, like the biggest load of of, uh, of shots and whatnot. And so I'm trying. I had a bullhorn I wanted to get done. But, um, of course, as we're rocking it out and Big Show, I, I taught him uh, a really cool trick about how to uh, clarify your words. He couldn't say something. And I did this trick where you put your finger in your mouth and you say it. And he was he was so blown away. He walked off the stage. He's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Where where have you been? How did I not know that? That's the most amazing trick. What the hell? How? And the, the producers turn to me and go, where have you been the whole time? I'm like, dude, I tried to get in early. And they're like, we know we're sorry. We're sorry. But that was like a huge pat on the back, like that. They like acknowledged that I was that I knew my yeah. stuff, you know, and actually the biggest thing is not even when the showrunners or the actors, but when the old crotchety crew, like there have been times when I've been on a set and those camera operators or whatever, they're like, you know, they're looking at you like, who the hell's this bitch? Like this little girl <laughs> coming in here thinking she, and then you throw some old terms at them. Like I want the dolly in the basement or, you know, let's tilt right. And I need a, let's get a C47 over here for that. You know, you just throw out some like old terminology or something that someone hasn't used in a long time. And they're like, oh, you know, your shit. And you're like, yeah, I kind of, you know, been around a long time. I watched, I was there when it was film rolling. I've been there when it's taping. I've been there when not every camera is isolated and you have to record as a live TV show, even though there's no audience. Like I've, I've seen it all. I've watched it. I I studied Chuck Vincent when he was on, uh, he directed Clarissa and I like would look at his notes and see how he took his notes for a live, you know, we had to, we had to film Clarissa, even though there was no audience, we filmed it like it was a live show. We only had, we had right. four cameras, but only one could tape at a time. So it's okay. jumping around like, did you get that shot? Did you get we had to shoot so many takes of that show? And I was trying to understand why. And so I learned on the job and I just like so I love every aspect of filmmaking, even if I don't necessarily understand lighting and filters. Well, listen, I can listen to these stories out of you 
for another hour, but I know you, I know you've got boys <laughs> to get back to, you know, um, having you on, on, on the podcast. I know my kids are about to bust in on me anyway. Right? They're like, mom. And they should, but having you on the podcast <laughs> today, it really was just, I knew that people needed to hear the real you, the educated you, the, the person who's been in the business for so long that, you know, your longevity just needs to be more celebrated. Um, it really, it means a lot to me because it's like the only thing. Well, thank you. The only thing I have an issue with when it comes to the whole former child actor thing is we just keep getting lumped into groups of people who did it wrong. And there's so many, there's so yeah, many, there's yeah, so many yeah, yeah. more of us, yourself, Matt Shackman, so many other uh, uh, people who have. Danica McKellar, did, exactly, Candace Cameron. That it's, Sarah Michelle, there's so many more that were successful and were able to transition either to other lives or in the in their in their professional lives. And it's funny because you hear the horror right. stories and you those stories live on right. in infamy. And we yeah, we for get some lost reason, everyone in that thinks story. that's a child and star. It's, and what sucks about it though is um I'm here to draw the common theme. And and you know what the common theme is? And and you had you said it way earlier, and I didn't I didn't want to interrupt you because you were in a flow, but the common thing is we all wanted to do it. You were age four. Yeah. You said, mom, they're saying yeah. people's names on Romper Room. I need to get down there. And yeah. that is a prodigy's observation and a prodigy's well, And there's a lot gumption, of places in my were. career. Yeah. And I'm sure with you too, like everywhere in my career, I can, I could talk about three or four different crossroads where I almost chose to do something else, but I right. came back to it. And I don't know if it's perseverance or just sticking it out. Like, you know, I don't know if it's, that I always necessarily wanted to be an actor, but I wanted to be a part of this, of filmmaking or television making. Um, and that has, is what, and I wanted to be a working actor. I didn't want to be rich and famous. I wanted to be a working actor. So I, and, and to be honest, the most epic child star, um, I actually produced a movie called child star about Shirley yeah. Temple. She's my role model. She's my icon. Like she was someone who was the most successful child star, one of the most successful movie star in the thirties during the great depression she was the biggest box office draw and she quit at 21 and went on to focus on family, to become a politician. She was the ambassador to Guam or Ghana, Ghana, Guam. Wow. I can't remember, but she, it um, began with a G. She, Let's you know, she had this G. other life. It still began with a G and it was far <laughs> away. It was very far away, but she, um, I think it might've been Ghana, but she, uh, she, she was like, this woman that I looked up to that I was like, okay, she was super talented. She was amazing, but she also had other dreams that she wanted to live out and that's okay too. Yeah. So, you know, finding my dream and, and how that, how those crossroads go for all of us, you know, and what, what paths we take or don't take is, um, is, is interesting. And I, I love, I, I love the questions you've brought today. I, I, I feel like I've talked about things I've never talked about. I before told you you would. I appreciate that. I told that. you you would. That was, <laughs> um, uh, I have one last question though. I feel like we, we, we owe okay. it to ourselves and we do owe it to our fans to let them know what our real ambitions are at this point. Like what's left for Melissa to accomplish at this point? I mean, technically you've done it all, but it's like, do you want to sit in the Oscar audience for something you directed? Do you want to, you know, do you want to, um, maybe it doesn't have anything to do with that. Maybe you want to be the, be the ambassador to Guam. What I don't, what, what is it that is like, 
Yeah, I just feel like you got to put things in the universe. Like, what do I want to be yeah. when I grow up? I still don't. I still don't know yeah. what I want to be when I grow up. I'm, I feel like I'm navigating it all the time. This directing thing is, I'm loving it. I am loving. I'm loving that people are giving me a chance. I'm loving that these producers are liking. These showrunners are trusting me with their material. That they like my sense of humor or the way I work with the actors or the energy I bring to set. Um, and that has been, like I said, the biggest high I've had. And so I, I, I want to continue with that road. I, I do have a goal of wanting to direct some pilots. I think that would be a great family life for me to be able to direct pilots between, you know, February and April and then take the rest of the year to be with my family and kind of be able to fo- hyper focus. Or, I mean, I would love to be a film director. I would love to be a Penny Marshall, like you said, or Sofia Coppola. Um, and, you know, do one great mo- focus on one great movie a year. And really, I, I have no ambitions or, or any I don't even think there's any chance of me ever winning an award or no, anything stop like that. that. But See, I think I'm going to put pause um, on you on that. The idea. No, no, stop that. Because well, I know, because people do I guess that I don't, Maybe I don't people care about it. I don't know. Like, you got to put it in yeah. the universe if yeah, you want to. I, really, I mean, I think it would be. I know. I, did, I don't know if did Penny Marshall ever win like or Gary Marshall. Like, I feel like a lot of comedy directors and, and people that give us a lot of the stuff that we grow up with don't necessarily get notarized like that. Like, I feel like, um, what's a show that you're a fan of that of... people wouldn't think that you were a fan of? Like I love Ozark. I, 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 you know, it's, it's a show that I love. I love mm. succession. I love billions. Um, you know, I'm, um, it's comedically, you know, I love, I loved Veep. You know, I love things that are a, little, a lot more vibe biting. You know, yeah. I was literally filming family matters as a, as a young kid and then coming in on Fridays and was like, yo, did you see Seinfeld last night? They killed it. You know, and yeah, Kramer yeah. got the whole yeah. Griffin set and it was in it. And people wouldn't imagine that this is what I was appreciating and this is what I was doing. So I'm like, I got to yeah. put it in the universe to let people know I like that. I can do that. I can do everything from dry comedy to slapstick. Yeah. And I'm like, give me one couple of things that you even like where you're like, I can Well, that's like that. me with directing. Like I, I've actually been really lucky last year. I was one, of, I think I'm one of the few directors that I know of that has um, been able to do uh, multi-cam and single cam comedy Yeah, they don't shows. let you switch. So I was doing Goldberg's Young Sheldon, but I'm doing Netflix. I'm doing, you know, so one of my goals would be, I would love to direct Last Man Standing. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why, like that one, or um, to be able to do one of the, one of the Chuck Lorre shows, but they have standing directors. So um, like uh, Mom. Oh, Allison, or, um, love you. But like, honestly, like, but something like a Game of Thrones, like a big, or or like a Supergirl, something like DC okay. Comics. Like I don't know if you know Eric Dean Stanton. I'm sure Eric probably did a few big okay. shows, but um, he's like an he's a director that I kind of follow. Or Robbie Countryman, like I kind of follow along with their. I know Eric yeah. and Robbie. So Eric like did Supergirl, and we talk about it. He's like, you got to get on Supergirl. It's awesome. It was like his dream come true to do that. So then now he's in that DC family, right? So now he's getting to do all the big, and and coming from Sabrina, I don't think people realize I have a lot of experience in special effects. Our special effects guy went on to do Game of Thrones and is a front title producer on Game of Thrones because of his special effects and what a big part it is of that show. But he was our guy on Sabrina. And so I learned a lot. I mean, it's definitely changed. It's gotten easier. But like our special effects were so complicated on Sabrina that I could do something like a like a superhero, big, you know, kind of fun action show. And I think that would be really awesome to to to. I would have loved to have done the new Sabrina, but now it's been canceled. But like, that's, I don't think I would have want to be in that show, but I would have loved to have directed it. I think it would have been cool if they had had you as a director, but I love that you just put all of this in the universe. Yeah. Cause guess what? It's going to happen. So much. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to happen. Oh, thanks. Anyway, I'm going to, I'm going to let Let's... you run and, and go play with those boys and monitor what they've been looking at on yeah. Zoom. They're out there, their devices oh. during Zoom school. Yeah. Um, but uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for joining yep. me. I'm serious. 
Thank you. Look, hey, listen, you come back when when games are going on again. You bring your little girl back, and we'll go to another Yankees I love game. It. And uh, and we can do a Dodgers game too. <laughs> you know, we do it on both coasts. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, but then I have to hang out with Mario too. You know, he's always there. So <laughs> I love it. Melissa John Hart, right. everybody. Love you, Julia. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.